0: Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to another edition of Revolution Recap. I'm Sean Donahue joined today by Greg Johnstone. Coming to you after the Revolution got a one-nothing home victory over the defending champion. Columbus SC, it, it still feels, well, I guess it's the first time we're calling them Columbus SC, but it just feels wrong to call the crew Columbus SC, and I'm looking at that logo right now and, and
1: still somewhat disgusted by their rebrand. Greg, how are you doing today? Uh, I'm doing good. It was a very ugly rebrand. I, don't, I didn't see anyone uh, tweet it out, but it looks like the old E logo, like the E channel, had the E and the exclamation point. Um, that's the first thing that I thought of. Um, just a really ugly logo that didn't need to happen. Um, not sure why they decided to rebrand, especially after our championship season. So, Really confusing move on their end, and uh, yeah, they, they played as bad as their logo is today. So
0: <laughs> after, I mean, I'm not going to spend too much time on the on the crew rebrand, but it, it, it's still shocking after all the effort to save the crew that the crew are no longer the crew. And honestly, <laughs> they were one of the teams with a logo that I actually thought was was half decent uh, prior to the rebrand. So uh, it, it it is what it is. But uh, enough about uh, crappy rebrands. <laughs> this was a uh, somewhat of a of a crappy game for a while until uh, Adam Books saved it late on with a, with a late-game winner. Uh, Greg, what was your takeaway from this one?
1: So the first 80 minutes of this game was pretty terrible. I know the Revs came out of the gate, and I think they had five or six chances in the first 12 minutes. And then I think there was one scoring chance through the next oh, hour or so. So this was a really, really terrible game. Uh, and then Adam Buxa, a.k.a. Golden Buxa, uh, comes in, <laughs> saves the day. Um, I missed last week. I think just as a whole, the people that are sounding the alarm bells on Adam Buxa, Need to take a step back because I I think somehow, some way, we've already kickstarted this narrative that Adam Buchsa is a terrible player who is unworthy to be in this starting lineup. Um, And I've seen it a few times because he had only scored one goal through, I guess, five games, and now he has two goals through six games. Um, You know, there there are 10 players in MLS that have three goals, uh, and and Adam Buchsa could easily, you know, have that many goals as well. So uh, I I think there seems to be some sort of uh, narrative that's already being built off of the uh, narrative that was last season that Adam Buchsa is playing his way out of the starting lineup. And I don't really see it. And he came on today as a super sub made an immediate impact, scored the goal uh, really came up huge for the revolution. And I I know a lot, there's been some rotation the last week and we're going to get some questions about the starting lineup, but I think this team is best with Adam Bucza in the starting lineup. Uh, And even though his score goals to games rate right now is one to three, and that's kind of been the goals to game rate through his time in new England. um, I I still think he, if this team is going to win MLS cup, it's going to be with Adam Bucza in the lineup contributing.
0: I completely agree with you. And the finishing has to get better. I know we've we've discussed that and and hit it home plenty of times, but I I do want to stay on the topic of a for, for a little bit because they're, you know, Several interesting aspects of this game. One of which was the the post game press conference in which uh, Buksa was one of the people on it, and, and you and I were listening there as, as Buksa talked about. Well, as uh, first of all, as you know, several people asked him questions about whether he was frustrated from his lack of scoring, or whether he was frustrated to be on the bench, and um, he seemed more frustrated by the questions than than by the by any of those things that were happening. And it, it, you know, he was quick to point out that. Scoring a goal doesn't necessarily mean he played well and not scoring a goal doesn't mean he had a bad game. There's a lot more to soccer than scoring goals, even if you're a number nine. And, you know, we have talked a lot about books of this season and the finishing has to improve. He is a number nine. He does need to score goals, but he has contributed in a lot of other ways this season and been a you know, key part of that revolution offense. And, you know, if the revolution are going to stick with a four five one. Um, I, I do think that it's going to be Bucsa, or it has to be Bucsa that steps up and fills that role, and I think he's done a pretty good job of it. Um, You know, I, Bo got the start in this game. You know, he had moments where he looked good and he had kind of combination plays, but I, I just think a, a big body like Bucsa with what he can do um, is, you know, key to making the revolution work in that 4-5-1 formation. And as I've you know, talked about before and I'm not going to talk about it again now, I, I think the 4-5-1 helps the rest of the revolution team be more of a cohesive team uh, despite the fact that the revs got the goal in this one when they were kind of pushing late and had two strikers out there. Uh, but I found the, the post-game press conference as it relates to Buxa particularly interesting both because of Buxa saying that and because of Bruce Arena being asked about Buxa and, and mentioning that you know, he had struggled with finishing the season, which is, which is obvious, but also mentioning that he thought he'd struggled a bit tactically with what the revolution we're doing um, in some games this year, which I found kind of fascinating um, for Bruce to say that because, you know, there have been times when I think Buxa hasn't looked great, but I, I do think that he's overall, you know, been pretty good um, for the revolution when he's kind of played that lone striker role in the 4-5-1 this season.
1: Yeah, agreed. And and it was interesting, too, tonight, we'll get back to the game a little bit, seeing Gustavo Bow in that role and not necessarily being any better than Adam Buxa has been uh, that, that we've seen in, in recent games, and not to say that Gustavo Bo played horribly, because he, he did have a few nice moments. He had a nice pass to uh, Tristesen on the, the left wing in the 11th minute, um, where it led to a Tristesen shot, and it was kind of scuffed, and it was an easy save by Eloy Room. Uh, there was another play where Bo set up Carly's Heel, who was cutting into the middle. That was the, the play that Heel uh, took the shot, that was uh, saved off of the post. Um, so Bo had potentially two assists uh, in this game, and, and you know I, I thought played fine for tonight. Um, but he still had 0.04 expected goals. Um, I don't even know if he had a shot on target. I will have to look that up. But um it, it was interesting to see Gustavo Bo, who is a more of a quote unquote goal scorer. Yeah, he had one shot tonight. Um, and that was blocked. So, you know, he, he was twelve for sixteen on passes. Overall, he he wasn't as impactful in the game as you would kind of hope. So it was kind of interesting to see Gustavo Bo kind of play that role that Books has been playing and equally not have as much success.
0: Yeah, it, it was and the the other thing that was interesting was was Busa seemed to be suggesting that he prefers when there's two strikers out there and thinks the revs work better that way. And I know we've had a lot of discussions about that on the on the podcast, um, but it was interesting to kind of hear him say that. We've heard guys like you know. Kristensen talk about how it helps him when when Carles heals in the middle, which I think only ha- really happens when you're doing that four five one um, or four two three or whatever you want to call it. Um, and then we've now heard Buxa kind of say that he thinks the Revolution are better when there's two strikers out there, or it's easier for him when there's two strikers out there. Um, so I, th- I think there might be some questions among the Revolution players about which which formation uh, is better for the team. So th- those those are kind of the my my takeaways, which come more from the press conference than actually the actual game itself.
1: It, it's a good problem to have. Um, but, yeah, Bruce, Bruce has a lot of questions. And actually, we can get in some listener questions here about what personnel he's going to run out. And right now, I think it's game by game, matchup by matchup. You know, certainly when you have three games in nine nine days, you know, it's not really controversial to rotate. Players, I think they made three changes from the Philadelphia game, uh, and for that game they had three changes from the Nashville game. Uh, but overall, yeah, w- when playoffs come around, are you playing one or two strikers? Is Books out there? Is Bo out there? Um, is Tayon out there? Is Teal out there? Um, there's still a lot of questions about what personnel this team is going to be running out for a starting lineup, uh, and and i i don't have a lot of answers and i, I think you don't either sean so um it, it's going to be interesting i i imagine we'll find out more over the next few months but um in terms of is adam Books a problem i would say no
0: yeah i mean there's still a lot of lot of questions now and i think don't think this game necessarily answered any of them it might have raised some more questions um even you know even in saying that i was played pretty well and, and got the win um but, but my my I, I still think that long-term is going to be Buksa at the front of that 4-5-1. Um, but I, I, I don't know. I don't know what Bruce thinks. So we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't think those questions are answered yet. Um, I, I agree that Buksa is not necessarily the problem. He's played pretty well other than, you know, finishing. But I also think, you know, you know Taylor Twelman said during this game about Gustavo Bo that if he's not scoring 12-plus goals a season, you're not getting um, – you know you're not getting what you need out of him and considering you know he was the big most expensive signing ever for the revolution and you know the role that he plays and i i think that's true i think gustavo Bos is a guy that you know if he's not scoring goals you know admittedly we saw him play a setup role a few times today and he can do that but if he's not scoring goals i don't think the revolution are, are getting what they need from him adam Buxa, i think as a hold-up player um and you know given his body and everything that he is that he's capable of kind of being a facilitator not just a scorer and can maybe offer a little bit more even when he's not scoring um, um, but I, I still think with Bo, you know, he's a different type of scorer. And if he's not scoring, then his value to the team is, is pretty low. But Booksa can still contribute a lot, at, you know, as he's not, when he's not scoring as kind of that target number nine in the Revolution's formation. Um, but a lot of questions going forward um, and, you know, something I'm, I'm curious to see what, how it plays out. Uh, I, I do want to quickly jump into to my takeaway. I know we have a lot of listener questions and, and some good ones that I think are going to cover a lot of the points that I want to talk about. Um, but, but my takeaway is about the Revolution's home form, because we talked a lot about how terrible the Revolution were at home last season. And I've kind of had on, on my watch this year – when are the Revolution gonna get that third home victory of the season to top the total of two they had all of last year? And that happened tonight in their third home game of the season, and that is something that is key for the Revolution to be a you know a dominant force at home and win most of their home games because that that should be where it's easier for you and where more of your points should come. Wasn't the case last year. Revs were a good road team, bad home team. This year they've won three out of three at home, which is a you know great start for them. Um, you know, getting a victory against the defending champion Columbus Crew kind of solidifies that that good start for the Revolution at home. Um, and I think that will serve the rest very well going forward. Um, also, as a you know key point was Matt Polster at the end of the game, kind of talking about that and saying how you know they have that turf at Gillette Stadium, and and you know he didn't say this, but in years past the Revolution have used that turf to their advantage to kind of make it difficult for teams to come in that aren't used to it, and that's made the Revolution a good home team. Polster talked about how they need to do that this year, and it, so far it seems like they have done that, that they've taken the Gillette turf to their advantage, whereas last year it certainly was not an advantage for them, and they struggled mightily at home. Um, but for me that's a really good sign for the revolution that three games and at home they've won three home games uh already won more than they had last year
1: yeah it's always a good thing to you know take three points from home it's very i'm a little hesitant to point my finger and, and kind of raise the banner on that one. Just because you look at the teams we've played, um, DC United, Columbus, uh, which who apparently is terrible on the road. I didn't realize until ESPN showed Caleb Porter's uh, home away splits that really Columbus and, or, or Caleb Porter coach teams, I guess, are just horrible on the road. Uh, and then Atlanta, who was missing some players, Columbus missing Zellerayon tonight. So um, it, it's kind of one of those things where I don't want to put too many chips uh, on, you know, the Revolution have Fortress Foxborough again. Um, I, I kind of want to see some teams come in and, and challenge the Revolution uh, or, or maybe be a bit of a more of a, a tougher test. But overall, you expect good teams to win at home and win get three points regardless of who your opponent is. And the Revolution have been doing that. So um, th- this is something that it's a luxury that they have not had in recent years. So it's a very, very good thing. Um, hopefully this trend continues on throughout the season as the the level of opponents ramp up a little bit.
0: And, and only one goal conceded over three games at home, too, is, is a, a big thing for them. And I'm sure Matt Turner, the goalkeeper, is is really happy that they've been able to do so well at home. Um, but that kind of leads me to another topic I wanted to get to, and that's, you know, John Bell getting a second straight start. What, what did you think of his performance?
1: I thought John Bell played fine. There are a few moments that where he's a little bit shaky. Um, and, and, you know, we are on the John Bell train, I, I should add. So uh, I, I don't want to. Knock him down a little bit too much, right in high after the two starts. I thought he played better in Philadelphia. Today he had a couple of shaky moments. He had the play where uh, it seems like he misplayed the ball a little bit, and Bradley Wright Phillips got a little in behind him. He ends up clipping him, uh, getting a yellow card on that one. Uh, John Bell also was looked to be responsible for the play where Artur uh, goes right down the middle of the field, Uh, takes the shot right off of the post. Um, That area seemed to be a little bit vacated from John Bell. Uh, It seemed like John Bell was kind of stepping up and maybe throwing off the line a little bit. Um, And he is a natural left back. So maybe that is just something that he needs to get in tune with a little bit better with his new center back uh, partner, Andrew Farrell. Um, So there were some moments It didn't cost them today. Uh, I thought overall, I'm liking what I'm seeing from John Bell. He certainly seems to have the tools, um, but there were a few moments where it seemed like he was a little bit off uh, and, and, if there was a weakness in the back line tonight, I thought it was coming from John Bell.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, all things considered, given he stepped up to MLS this year for the first time, he was a, you know, mostly a left back in college, made the transition to center back last year. I, I thought the two games he played were, you know, as good, if not better than you could possibly expect. Um, from John Bell, and there's certainly things he can improve upon. In that, you know, Bradley Wright Phillips definitely got the better of him when he came on late. A you know, veteran, very smart forward going against a very you know inexperienced at this level center back. But overall, I thought he played well. And you're you're right; some of his timing and, and pushing forward and the lines and everything um, could use improvement. And I think that will improve over time. Um, but I think the revolution have found, we we, we talk about the salaries later, a guy that's, you know, making $63,000 a year and his rookie contract that can actually contribute and and give big minutes for the revolution this year when they need him. Um, you know, looking at past years and there's a guy like Michael Mancian that was making a million dollars or $400,000, depending on what season it was. Uh, you know, I, I already feel more comfortable with John Bell back there than I do, uh, when we saw him back there. Um, but what, what do you make of the fact that it's, you know, two straight games where Henry Kessler, was benched because it doesn't surprise me that you know Bruce Arena was rotating. But usually, when you rotate, you don't bench a guy for two games. You bench a guy for one game and then bring him back out.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm a little confused on that one as well. Bruce Arena was asked this in the press game post game presser, and he essentially said that he just wants to build depth, and the best way to build depth is to give people games, give people minutes. Um, and he felt that center back depth last year was lacking a little bit. So it seems like getting John Bell. Games and back to back, you know, within four days uh, is his way of hopefully building some finesse, building some minutes, building some game experience. Uh, you know, so they have that third center back. Um, I do find back to back starts very strange. I also find it very strange that both times Henry Kessler was the one sitting. Right. I'm not totally sure why they didn't rotate Farrell out. My guess is essentially they they want John Bell to be a uh, left center back as opposed to a right center back, you know, he's left footed. So maybe they just think he goes better uh, with on that side of the field since he's a natural left back, uh, that, that maybe he goes better with a natural right back and Farrell. And maybe they don't want to move Kessler or oh, slide him down the line and, and insert John Bell. And maybe that'll cause confusion. Um, I'm not totally sure what the logic uh, in, in having Kessler ride the bench back-to-back games is because he seems to be a person that you need to also give minutes to and also develop. So I don't know if there's a maybe a minor injury that they're not talking about. I know Kessler wasn't on the injury report. Um, so I, I don't know if there's, you know, I don't want to get into conspiracy theories here if there's something that we're missing. But um, I, I I get Bruce Arena's take uh, and, and the logic behind it. Um, I'm, I'm not totally sold on it, and I, I wonder if there's something else here.
0: Yeah, I'm confused by it too, because you would think that if you were gonna you know give Bell a run out that you would put Kessler in there for one of those games and I I get that you know there's some difference between playing left and right center back, certainly. Um but you know, Farrell's the veteran player that you would think would need rest if anybody if anybody did um in that back line. So you know, it, it makes you think that maybe Bruce isn't confident and you know Farrell's the veteran player back there and maybe Bruce still doesn't think that Kessler has the experience needed to kind of control that back line if he's the if he's the veteran back there um, of the two I mean he's only a second year player but I, I agree with you that Kessler is still a developing player too and when people get asked about Kessler they talk about how good he is but they also talk about you know areas that he can improve in and he also needs minutes like you said so I, I'm a little bit surprised by this one I don't want to read too much into it yet and say you know that bruce has lost some confidence in kessler or that bell's you know outperforming him in training or something and and this is a permanent change i don't i don't think it is but um there are reasons to to start wondering um and i also wonder you know what would have happened if you know colin Verfurth was available because he's been out injured um and is bell starting because bell's you know really shown more than him or is bell getting these appearances because you know colin maybe hasn't shown as much in practice i guess that's another another question that we don't we don't necessarily know the answer to right
1: yeah uh, well and and another thing too getting back to andrew farrell of why he's not being rested you know if you put out a line of dewan jones because christian moffla is injured uh and he was unavailable for this game but if you have um dewan jones john bell henry kessler and Brandon Bayh as your backline, that's a very young backline. Yes. Uh, Brandon Bayh is the veteran in that group, and I think he's entering his fourth year. So Andrew Farrell might be out there for organizational leadership purposes. Um, So that's my other theory to why Bruce is not going with a Kessler-John Bell combination. Uh, I I am curious to see what uh, would happen with Burrith. But one thing that I, I think we need to point out is that A.J. De La Garza was brought in, and he was supposed to be center back depth you would have thought that if they needed to rotate Farrell out and they didn't trust Kessler on that right side, you would have thought that AJ De La Garza would step up uh, and maybe fill that role. Now, maybe they didn't want to go with, you know, center backs three and four. Maybe they they didn't think that was a strong enough center back pairing. Um, but it, it seems to me that if you were to give Farrell a rest and you didn't want to move over Bell or Kessler, um, AJ De La Garza would be in that spot. So it, it's kind of an interesting combination. I I'm going to, Give Bruce the benefit of the doubt that all this is is giving John Bell some minutes and see if he can take that third center back spot essentially from De La, uh, De La Garza um, because I, I don't really know how, what else to make of it um, unless, there's a, unless there's a Kessler injury they're not telling us about.
0: It. I mean, if, if we see Bell start a third game against the Red <laughs> Bulls next weekend, um, then I think it's, it's, it's time to start. Um, well, at, at that point, I think you have to assume that Bell is taken over for Kessler, which would be kind of shocking to me. But it's, you know, I, I have a lot of questions after after seeing him start two games, but it's too soon for me to go that far yet. Yeah, but I think you can go as far as to say that Bell's obviously impressed a lot in training to get these two starts over guys like like A.J. De La Garza. So that's, that's good news for the revolution because, you know, Bruce said that center back has been an issue for them. Or it was an issue for them last year, um, and it was you know depth wise certainly. So it it is good that they're you know developing depth either way um, with, with John Bell having two good performances as a rookie. So um, you know lots of positives to take from that, but also some question marks that I don't think we will necessarily have answered until we kind of see what the lineup is next week.
1: We're we're we're, we're circling a question here. Uh, Cleggie on Discord asked us, "What do you think of John Bell in his first two starts? Do you think he's taking Kessler's spot?" In terms of Kessler's spot, I think you and I agree, no. Um, and, and I would be very surprised if Henry Kessler is not out there next week, uh, or whenever the next game is, I think they, they don't have a midweek game this week. I think they play next weekend. Um, I'm guessing, I'm guessing it's Henry Kessler's spot still, but in, in terms of what do you think of his first two, two starts? And then we also got another question from Chris, who's not in this weekend. Uh, he says, how good can John Bell be? So Sean, I'll, I'll kick that to you of what you thought of his first two starts and how good do you think John Bell can be?
0: I thought they were good. I mean, I thought I thought he, like I said earlier, I thought he beat my expectations. Um, and I thought he, he looked like he belonged in MLS, which um, is, is saying a lot for a guy making his first two starts that, again, you know, was a, was a left back in college um, and really only had a lot of experience at center back, um, you know, revs too. So I thought that was, was really impressive. And I think, you know, he can absolutely be, at least, you know, based on what I've seen in these two games, if he keeps developing, I, I see no reason why he couldn't be you know, a consistent regular MLS starter. I don't know if he's going to be, you know, one of the top center backs in the league, um, but he seems like he's got the quality and the tools to, if he keeps developing, be, you know, a, a solid MLS starter at that role, at least at least to
1: me. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I think he's got the ceiling of an MLS starter and it seems like Bruce feels that way too. Um, I'm curious to see if he gets that opportunity because it seems like the Revs are set with Kessler uh, in that left center back spot, uh, but we'll see. I, I I agree completely with you.
0: But yeah, I, I don't. I'm just curious. Do you think Kessler's done anything to earn being benched? If we are no. to read more into this, because I don't, I don't think he has. And I'm going back to uh, what was it two weeks ago when Andrew Farrell made the MLS team of the week, uh, which kind of surprised me because I thought Kessler deserved to be in the MLS team of the week because I, you know, one of the plays of that game um was, was where you know Farrell made a mistake and Kessler got back and did a really good job and blocked the shot um but you know have you seen anything that Kessler's done to to earn being benched um if we're no. if we're trying to read something in this
1: because I haven't no no and, and and not that John Bell has played bad because I thought he, I think he's played fine but I think Kessler has played better than John Bell has played in two games yes and I'd also go a step further and say I think Kessler and Bell have probably played better than Farrell has in the past couple of games because Farrell uh, had a really bad moment there in the, I think it was the 40, boy, I miss, I don't have, I don't have the, I the, don't oh, know, 58th minute where a ball kind of comes out to Farrell. looks like Columbus has cleared the ball. He gets a really, really bad touch. He has to kind of kick it away and leads to a turnover. Columbus boots the ball down, tries to go on a counter and, and Turner has to kind of play sweeper keeper and, and kick that ball out. Um, there seems to be Farrell is very consistent except for, Maybe one mistake a game, it seems like. Yep. He, he's kind of in this weird funk. It's actually kind of what we said about Tony De La last year, where Tony De would be fine, and then he'd make a horrific turnover or something, and it would lead to a goal. And, you know, I, I remember saying last year, you know, even if your good center backs don't have those blips consistently, that's a bad center back. And so I, I think I, Andrew Farrell is fine in my mind. I, I'm still not totally sweating the Kessler-Farrell center back portion. But if there's one person that I would expect to lose his job, it would be Andrew Farrell.
0: Yeah, I agree, um, and, and I, like I said, I'm very curious to see what Bruce does a week from now. I expect it's going to be Kessler and Farrell again, back to that. But um, I, you know, there is there's certainly a little bit of doubt based on these two games, so it'll be it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Um, the one the one last guy I wanted to get to before we jumped full throttle into you know the numerous listener questions we got is is Teal Bunbury, who finally got a start today, um, who's you know was the Revs' leading scorer last year, and I think kind of forced his way into the lineup. Um, with that with that key goal against Philadelphia at midweek that helped the Revs get the tie and, and probably should have given the Revs the lead if uh, if, if the if the foul on Matt Turner was called on Philadelphia's goal a few minutes later. Um, but you know, Bunbury forced himself back into the lineup. How, how did you think he did in this game as a starter and that kind of right wing role?
1: Uh, well, first off, Sean, I don't know if you know, this, Teal Bunbury uh, playing soccer is news to people in Philadelphia. <laughs> Apparently, they were surprised to see that Teal Bunbury, who is at the ripe old age of thirty one. Uh, and scored eight goals last season, is still playing soccer. So, you know, uh, I just wanted to kind of note that. But, yeah, Teal Bunbury today, fine. I I feel like Teal Bunbury does this where he gets a goal, he, he, you know, has a really, really good performance, and you kind of say, boy, why aren't we playing Teal Bunbury more? And then you start him, and then he kind of fizzles out. Played fine. I didn't think he did a whole ton. Um, Just a very blah performance. I did notice he was two for nine on duels. So that's never great. He was also over three on dribbles. Um, but oh, I I didn't think he played terrible, just didn't have any moments that really stood out to me. Uh, obviously, he drew a penalty kick that wasn't called in the 65th minute. Yeah. Um, I thought that was kind of ridiculous. Um, he also had a nice low shot there in the 32nd uh, minute where I think Dewan Jones kind of crossed the ball through the box. Uh, Teal kind of gathered it nicely and, and took a shot and, and drew a corner kick. Um, it was fine. He's a fine role player, essentially, at this point. I feel like he doesn't create enough. And I feel like kind of on that wing role, he's not really that much of a threat to score. uh, But still a lot of positives from him today, um, with most notably uh, that penalty kick, which, uh, you know, if called correctly, in my mind, that was a pretty clear penalty kick, um, you know, might have given the revs three points. They might not have had to have brought brought on Buxa, and it might have been a a totally different game. But, um, yeah, came in clutch in, in Philadelphia with a really, really nice goal. And and should have come in clutch uh, with this penalty kick today.
0: Yeah, honestly, I I, th- I still think Till Bamberg's best position is striker, but there's not there's not going to be many minutes for him at striker with the the Revs' current roster. So it's going to be on the wings, and you know he's played plenty of minutes there. Um, I still think he's better as a striker. I thought it was kind of a okay performance, but not. maybe didn't have enough of an influence, as you would have hoped, especially after kind of gaining confidence with that goal last week. Um, If you look at who scored's rating, he had a 6.09, which is the lowest rating of any Revolution starter um, and lowest rating of any Revolution player other than Tommy McNamara, who played all of, you know, four minutes. Um, So I I thought Bunbury's performance was a little bit disappointing after what he did against Philadelphia. But at the same time, I, I don't think, you know, if I had to pick between Tejan Buchanan and Teal Bunbury on the right wing, I'm picking Tejan Buchanan as a starter every time, I think, right?
1: Yeah, it, it's weird because I don't, I mean, we talk about Bo and Buxa and, and where they fit. I don't know where Teal fits in this because, yeah, I'd rather have Tayon or Carles Hill on the, the right wing, uh, and I'd rather have Buxa and Bo up top uh, than than Teal. So, But, but Teal is a very quality player, and they, they just signed him to an extension last year, so I'm not I'm not totally sure what their plans are for Teal, but I, I feel like they're going to have to find a role for him at some point.
0: But I think we got a question about Tristison right? And that, and that might lead to more talk about Teal.
1: <laughs> yes, we did get it. Well, and who knows how serious this question is, but uh, Tristison isn't good. Is he Hauche 2.0? He,
0: he is definitely not Hauche 2.0. <laughs> I've seen enough out of him to know he's got some some skills. Um, he's and scored, I, yeah. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I've, you know... Looked, you know, Tristerson, um, we talked about in kind of some of the first few episodes about how I think after three games, he hadn't had a game where he would passed over 60% uh, or over 70% rather. And, you know, he was at 85% in this game. I think he was at like 90% or something against Philadelphia. His numbers and passing have gotten better. And he's had moments where he's cut inside and had good shots. He had a you know, decent chance in this game where he put a shot on target. Um, you know, talking about missed shots, Teal Bunbury had, you know, had a couple of decent chances. And there was one where he completely shanked that Tristesen was standing over in the corner, like put his hands up like, why didn't you pass to me? Um, I don't think Tristison has had the influence on games yet that we'd like to see him have um and the revolution are kind of counting on him to be kind of a big part of the offense i think you know given what they brought him in to do um but you know to, to compare him to how is uh, way over the top at this point um but with that said I, I would like to see him find a way to have more of an impact on this revolution team going forward we've seen some signs the last couple of games but it's not it's not quite there yet um and if it doesn't get there you know Maybe that's the spot where you give Teal a run out for a game or two to maybe light a fire under Tristison that he's got to be better, um, or you know, give you know, legitimately give Teal a chance to, to prove that that he belongs there. But I'm not ready to do that yet. I think you know Tristison came in late in the preseason. He hasn't had that much time with the team. The chemistry's not there yet. I think the chemistry's gotten a little bit better in the last two games. And I think that's you know, a position where you kind of roll with a little bit longer to give Tristison a chance to to find a slow with his
1: offense. Yeah, and Tristan's game, I think, is going to be, you know, people will remember the play in the 11th minute where he kind of scuffs the shot after being a, fed a really nice ball by Bo. But um, one thing I've noticed with Tristan is he's already built a very nice rapport with Dewan Jones. Um, him and Dewan Jones, Dewan Jones also will cut inside when Tristan goes wide and vice versa. Tristan has kind of gone into the center and plays very nicely with Carly's Hill um, and, and Dewan. So I, I feel like he he fits. Uh, but we haven't seen any payoff yet so maybe it'll come with time a little bit uh, but yeah I mean he he had that you know should have done better in a shot against Philadelphia should have done better with a shot tonight um, yeah I, I I'm not totally impressed from what I've seen from him and I expect a lot more if Teal Bunbury does find a way onto the field it might be that left wing spot if Tristan does not improve um, which is really disappointing because I I I was expecting him to be the final piece of the puzzle for the revolution. So, But you do bring up a good
0: point, and that's that
1: I think you know,
0: we were talking on the show that after the first few games, it didn't look like there was chemistry between him and Dewan Jones, and that looked like it was going to be a problem. Um, but I, I think we've seen that certainly improve over the past two games. Um, but, you know, that, that's all I got on Tristan for now, but I know we had – did you want to jump into some of the other questions we got?
1: Well, I was going to say, Christian Matthews gave us a question getting back to Teal. He says, seems like uh, Tayon and Teal are sharing time. Should we just be giving them each 45 minutes? Neither is excelling at the beginning of the second half before being subbed off. And I actually really like this idea because I don't think subs at halftime count against your three stoppages in play, correct? That's right. That's right. Um, I mean, it seems like... Uh, Sometimes tayon and, and and Teal are out there for a long period of time and they're not doing enough, but when you get them in short bursts, uh they seem to be making more of an impact to the game, especially Teon Buchanan I feel like Teon coming off the bench you know just really adds a spark, and I think we saw that tonight, so I'm not against this where you give them both a half, see who does well. I don't think Bruce will ever do that because Bruce likes to start whoever's hot and ride them out sixty to sixty five minutes every game uh unless there's you know building up fitness or there's an injury or something like that. but uh I actually don't hate that idea.
0: Yeah, I think I think Tejan's a guy that should be able to give you you know seventy five good minutes out in the wing, and we haven't necessarily seen that that much this year. But but long term, I would like to see him getting those kind of minutes. And then you know Teal Bunbury is a you know different player that can provide you know different skill set on the right wing. And some of that is we you talk about Teal Bunbury's defensive work rate. So if the Revolution have a lead and they want to you know. Get more defense out there. Putting Teal Bunbury out there isn't a bad idea. And then, you know, Teal Bunbury also can do things on offense um, and can score goals when he's on on streaks. But I, I still think that Tejan Buchanan – Um, and the term, is a guy that I'd like to see getting, you know, 75 minutes a game in to, to show what he can do. Um, but yeah, his performances have been okay, but maybe haven't been as good as we'd hoped based on, you know, how how he finished last year and then what he was doing in Olympic qualifying. Um, but I'm not ready to go to a kind of a 45, 45 minute split yet. I I still think that Tejan Buchanan, you know, should be offering you more on the right wing at this point in his career
1: than Teal Bunbury at this point in his career. I agree. And especially for it'll help his development uh, if you're yes. getting him more minutes. So, yep. Agreed. All right. Well, now that that's done, Sean, do you want to hop into some listener questions?
0: Yeah, let's jump to them.
1: OK, we're we're recording this as they're coming in. So some of these are hot off of the press here. Uh, but let's start uh, with. Let's start on Discord here. Cameron asks us, did Buxa earn a start after his appearance tonight? We kind of touched on this a little bit earlier, but Sean, going into next week, who do you think gets the start at striker?
0: I think it should be Buxa. I mean, I I don't think Bo had a terrible game, but I think Buxa had a big impact, and if Buxa is scoring goals, he's the guy you got to go with. And Like I said earlier, I think in the 4-5-1, Buxa in theory should be your striker, so I, I think Buxa starts next week.
1: And Randy LH asked us the same exact question of who starts at striker next game. Um, I I agree. I I think it's books. I think the bigger question is whether or not it's going to be two or one Um, with a full week of rest. I I imagine we're going to see uh, the quote unquote, you know, team a or or team a starting lineup, your first team. Um, So I, I wouldn't be surprised if they try to work out both of them, uh, and a two-striker set, uh, but if they go with a one-striker, I think that we're going to see Adam Buchsa out there. Tayon Te- Te- didn't get the start tonight, so uh, I-, I think a Buchsa Bose pairing uh, is going to be in the cards for next weekend. Uh, James Downing asks us: If you're Bruce, do you prioritize finding a clinical striker in the upcoming window? Am I or am I just salty at another low-scoring, well-coached snooze fest, uh, or is it, it an actual issue that needs to be addressed? Sean, you think they're going to prioritize finding another striker in the window?
0: I don't. Um, I'm not sure yet whether or not it's an actual issue. Um, (laughs) We sound like a broken record talking about the finishing not being good enough, and it's not. But with the, the fact that they have two designated player strikers um and then you know teal bunbury who they're also paying a good amount of money to that's also in my opinion you know best at striker means that i don't think the revolution have much room to go out and find a a clinical striker i think they're and then you know the rookie he's as well i don't think there's much room on the revolution to go out and find a clinical striker whether or not they they really need to i'm still not sure i i still think books is going to find a way to become more clinical and i i still think gustavo Bo. Um, you know, is a very capable scorer when he's on his game. And, and I expect at some point he'll get back to, you know, his good form. Um, but if, if for no other reason that I, I think the revolution have allocated, you know, so many resources to designated player spots to strikers that I don't, I don't think that there's room to go out there and find another clinical striker.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And I think it just adds more. I, I think if anything, we'll see Teal Bunbury kind of make his way and start as a striker. I know some people have been calling for Edward Kizza and I, I don't, Totally know if that's going to happen. I, I feel, still feel that Teal Bunbury is going to be the third choice at striker, but you know between Teal, Bo, and Buxa, I feel like one of them will be, have stepped up by the summer window, uh, and and hopefully they'll have broken out of this funk. Uh, but if not, I, I feel like someone would have to leave. I don't think there's much yeah point in bringing in you know a Bradley Wright Phillips type, you know, and kind of just throw him into the mix. I, I feel like you'd need a absolute game changer, and if that's the case, you need a DP spot, and there's going to be a bigger move. Uh, to, to, you know, uh, predate that one. So um, uh, Chris asked us too, Chris Faloukas says, uh, was Bookss benching uh, performance related or was it just rotation among a busy stretch?
0: I think it was a little bit of both um, based on Bruce's comments where he said, you know, like we've talked about, he struggled um, – with his finishing and then he also struggled tactically Bruce Bruce said a bit. So I, th- I think it's a little bit of both. Um, even without that, I, I think it might've been a rotation thing where, where books got benched and that same thing. You don't want to keep bow on the bench for, for too, for too long. He's a very talented player. Um, but I, I think it was a kind of a combination of, of books, wasn't doing everything Bruce wanted him to do, but also, you know, it's a busy stretch and you do need to rotate.
1: Uh, agree with you on that one. I, I, I think it's a little bit of both. And we saw this a little bit last year when they had multiple games, uh, you know, over short uh, time spans. So uh, James Downing asks us, where is Glass Legs? Uh, and he's speaking of Christian Mofla, who we refer to as Diamond Legs because uh, he's played perfectly fine uh, when he has gotten out there. But unfortunately, uh, it seems like the injury bug has already bitten him uh, into this 2021 season and he is earning his, his nickname of Glass Legs. Sean, where is he? Uh,
0: well, we heard he's back in training, right, but not fit. I think that was the news this week is that he's just not ready to play yet, but he's back in training. So I guess that's that's a, a progress. But <laughs> to, to jump a, a bit ahead, um, you know, he wasn't on the bench today. To, to jump a bit ahead to a topic we're going to talk about later, you know, the the Revolution salaries came out. And it came out that Christian Mafla is the fifth highest paid by guaranteed comp player on the revolution at nearly $500,000. So clearly they brought him in to be a starter and he hasn't been healthy enough to be that. Um, it has, it's it's disappointing for the revolution so far what they've gotten from Moffat. It's too soon to to write him off, but the the glass legs nickname has been apt so far. And if the revolution don't see that change, um, this is one sign that doesn't look like a, a brilliant move by by Bruce. But it's it's way too soon to, to jump to that conclusion yet. But there's certainly early worrying signs.
1: Are you? I mean, certainly with the salary, you would expect him to be a starter. Do you think Dewan Jones has? maybe leapfrogged him in the depth chart because dewan jones has played i mean uh, chicago game aside he had the assist in the um uh teal bunbury goal against philadelphia he had another nice cross today for gustavo bow that was uh blocked away um do you think maybe dewan jones again for the third straight year is making it a left back competition at that spot
0: he he is, but I I still think ideally you have a left-footed left back with with Tristesen. And I know we talked about Jones playing better with Tristesen the past two weeks, but I think I think ideally Tristesen would would benefit from somebody with a good left foot that can kind of overlap on the left and put in a good left-footed cross. I I don't know that we haven't seen enough of Mafla to say he's good enough to beat out Dewan Jones because Dewan Jones has played pretty well um in the past several weeks and you know it hasn't been one of the Revolution's bigger problems. So. Um, it's it's a tough one, but you don't pay a guy you know five hundred thousand dollars to to ride the bench if he's a left back, especially you might pay a backup you know good striker that, but you don't pay a backup left back five hundred thousand dollars. And it was funny, Seth kind of pointed out. Um, some of the other left backs the Revolution have had over the years. I think Bootner was at what seven hundred thousand last year, which is yeah. six ninety, yeah, yeah, which is which is absolutely insane. Speaking of overpaying for left backs, and um, I for you know going back before Bruce Arena too, talking about guys like Somi that we, we talked about for a while and how overpaid they were. It seems like a Revolution problem of overpaying for injury prone left backs that extends beyond Bruce Arena. Uh, but it's just been a, a long-term problem issue for the revolution. You know, even thinking about what was it? Was it uh, Domi way back in the day that they, that they got? There's been a lot of left-backs the revolution have signed. Um, and, you know, thinking about Chris Tierney, it seems like going way back then, the revolution kept signing left-backs to perhaps replace Chris Tierney, and Chris Tierney kept beating him out. Maybe Dewan Jones is kind of taking that role now where he's the guy the revolution keeps signing left-backs to replace, but he's going to keep holding on to it because they spend all this money on guys that just aren't good enough.
1: Yeah, it, it's interesting that it's a trend. It's not just a high salary, but it seems like it's an international player that they bring in, they bring to New England, and just for whatever reason doesn't seem to work out. Um, I mean, yeah, fourth. I think this is the fourth straight year where, you know, Somi, Ed, Edgar Castillo, uh, who I still think isn't as bad as people thought, but uh, Alexander Butner, uh, and then this year it's going to be Christian Mafla. And if Mafla strikes out, that's 0 for 4. Uh, that's, that's pretty rough, uh, all things considered. And, you know... Let's see. Bootner at seven hundred thousand. Mafla is at what? Four hundred thousand. Somi was at four twenty-five. I think Estio was two hundred. So you you have a really solid, you know, one uh, one point six or seven million dollar in salary for left backs that just don't work out um it, it's a really bad spot that's a black hole for the revolution. And thank goodness we have DeWan Jones, who's been able to hold it down uh, while they've gone through all this turnover and, and rotating door of left backs that uh, just don't seem to pan out for whatever reason. You know,
0: where would they be if they didn't draft a, a right wing winger that they were able to convert into a, a you know, more than serviceable <laughs> left back? I mean, they get, they kind of lucked out on that one because they've they've done a terrible job of filling that spot over the years.
1: Yeah, yeah and and the Bootner signing too. I I know with the salary drop, it you know a lot of focus was on the 2021 numbers, but the the Bootner signing, I think we called it too. I you especially called it that, you know, I, don't, I remember the revs it was a tam signing and so you expected that salary to be high. It had to be over I think 600,000 uh, and you called that Bootner, you know, had never really, you know, knee leg injuries on turf coming over hasn't really done a lot. Um you know, it it didn't seem to be a fit you know the whole time and yeah Dewan Jones I thought either outplayed him or you know at the very least was at the same level as Bootner uh last year so I don't know hopefully Mofla comes out and, and really surprises but uh, I'm I'm not blaming anyone for uh already kind of thinking negatively of this signing just based on recent history
0: yeah the injury prone left back signing is is uh starting to become redundant and uh <laughs> a bit more of the same but it's 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 too soon to write off Mafla but uh it's not too soon to start having concerns
1: uh Jason Schmidt asks us: I understand the midweek game and it's still early in the season but does it seem that we don't uh, that we still don't have a full starting lineup it's been a carousel in the midfield Kessler's spot is up for grabs and Bo and Buxa are in and out of the lineup is this something to worry about
0: uh, I mean, I don't think they have a set lineup yet because there are still questions. The question marks we talked about left back, um, which may or may not be DeWan Jones's if, if Mofla doesn't show something. The central midfield was, has rotated um, and, you know, Captoom, who's the fourth highest paid player on the revolution at 557,500 guaranteed. Um, you, you expect him to be a starter at some point, but I don't think he's you know gotten a 90 minutes fit yet. So we haven't really seen him. Um, get much of a chance to make that role his own, although he's you know, come off the bench in a couple games. Um, so yeah, there, there's a lot of question marks out there, but none of them are are things that I'd be worried about. Um, except still the the striker spot a little bit because again, you know whether it's Bo or Buxa, I think if you're if you're playing with one striker or two strikers, even you want your strikers to be scoring more goals. Um, so that's the one spot to me that um it's still a, a question mark and a concern that if you think the revolution, revolution are going to be a contender you need to get more out of um i i again i'm not i'm not too concerned yet about that spot but that's the one area if i was to focus on something that i was concerned about not being locked down yet it would be the strike
1: and, and one thing you got to remember about bruce is he plays the hot hand one person that i've you know we haven't really talked about that much Cap, Captoom, who has kind of regressed to a backup role even though he was Arguably the highest profile signing uh, of the offseason and was the most expensive offseason signing. Um, and Maciel has stepped in and has taken over what I think was going to be his role. And Polster has played perfectly fine. We had another solid game from them tonight. Um, I don't see that midfield pairing switching that much, but but that's not because of Captoomba's fault. Um, so, you know, we talk about a full starting lineup. You know, I, Bruce really goes game by game. And I think when we're talking about this in October, it's really going to be who's the hot hand. So we, even though Captoom might not start the next three, four, five games, you know, when Polster, you know, gets hurt or or has a bad game, or when Masiel gets hurt or has a bad game, Captoom is going to slide in, and as long as he plays well, he's going to be staying there. So this doesn't concern me too, too much, just because we are going to see changes based on who is playing well. Um, and you know, even if we had a full quote unquote starting lineup and on paper we knew who was playing every single game, in six months Bruce would have changed it uh, because someone down the line is going to screw up and make some mistakes, and Bruce is going to fix that. And the other thing too is, you know, and we'll get into this a little bit later, but I expect Bruce to make some changes in the the summer window. I expect some moves to be made. And so even if we don't have a solidified 11, um, quote-unquote, I still expect this squad to be strengthened a little bit. Uh, and so there, there's additional components on top of the, you know, carousels and, and competitions already happening uh, that I think we're going to have later on in the season uh, and going into the playoffs.
0: And we also don't know what Bruce thinks of Luis Caicedo yet because he hasn't been healthy at all during his tenure um, and at least projecting back two years to what he what, two years ago to what he was. If he gets back to that, I, I'm not sure that Montiel is better than Luis Caicedo yet. I'm not convinced at this point. Um, he could be. I'm not. I'm not sure of that. So, and I, we don't know what Bruce thinks. So that's another kind of question mark in that role.
1: Yeah, we did get a question from uh, TSB11 on Discord. Will the revs ever work themselves out of their? I'm going to fug, uh, f u g u e. I googled it. Uh, it is apparently a state or period of loss of awareness of one's identity, often coupled with flight from one's usual environment, associated with certain forms of hysteria or and epilepsy that's deep <laughs> okay you know that word i'm not educated i didn't know what that meant i googled it sean are the revs gonna work their way out of that word
0: i mean is, i guess this is i'm assuming this is in reference to kind of the the funk they have with not having a offensive identity and struggling to, to score um more goals than what there's been you know two games all season where they've scored two goals, one of which was the Chicago game where they had to come back from 2-0 down against a you know, pretty terrible team, and the other which was a you know against a, a weakened Atlanta team which they played really good. Um, I think they're gonna figure it out. Uh, I think there's too much talent for them not to figure it out. Uh, you know, there's to me there's a there's got to be a long leash there because like I said, you know, Tristan still hasn't had that much time to get integrated and he's going to be a big part of this offense. You know, Bruce Arena's changed things a bit, you know, with the formation. Um, sometimes Carlos Hill has been in the middle. Sometimes he's been on the right. Sometimes they play with two strikers. Sometimes they played with one. I think they're going to find an identity. I don't think they've locked it down and found it yet. Um, but you know, the fact that the revolution are still winning games are still on the top of the Eastern conference. Um, when I don't think they have played at their best yet is a, is a good thing. Um, you know, Talk to me in a couple more weeks about, you know, where, where the revolution are. Um, I, I actually think the revs are going to work out really well. Um, I think what's going to work out really well for the revolution when they get that break between, you know, May 29th and June 19th to give these guys um, that haven't had the time to integrate as much as you would have liked to have them in preseason like Um And, you know, when they come out of that break, I expect the revolution to kind of really be going on all cylinders, you know, come June 19th.
1: Yeah, and one thing that I think is worth pointing out, and you kind of touched on this, is that defensively they are doing re- very, very, very well. I think you mentioned that they've conceded once at home through three games, and that was from a branded by bad penalty. Um, I think their expected goals through three home games is, boy, it's got to be lower than two. Um, I mean, they've been very, very solid defensively, even with Christian Mothla, your left back, out. Um, Henry Kessler sitting two games, and you bring up a Revs 2 guy. Um, even with the, the occasional you know Andrew Farrell error, uh, and the you know, Brandon buys uh, conceding a penalty kick, um, you know, their their defense has been really, really well. And, and we haven't even gotten into the Philadelphia game that much. I don't think we're going to touch on it too much uh, just looking at the time. But, I mean, Philadelphia got away with an elbow to Matt Turner there. Um, Philadelphia, you know, that, that that seems to be the only way you could really get a goal from the run of play uh, against the Revolution. So the Revolution defense has really, really stepped up. And I know we're talking about the rotation. Uh, and the you know lack of scoring from this team, uh but there's a really really solid base uh, in this defense with the revolution i I feel like their defense was good last year, and it's even stepped up more uh this year uh and, and they're really focused and they're really solid they're they're not making a lot of mistakes in the midfield they're holding possession they're not allowing that many counterattacks. um i mean it, the defense has just been very very strong so um even if they ever do fix these offensive issues. Uh, you know, they're, they're going to be a team to watch out for and they're, they're going to be hitting on all cylinders. Um, we kind of answered this question already from Randy LH, but he does bring a good point. He says, uh, why isn't Kessler making the 11 without him or Brooks on the field? We seem very ineffective at attacking corners and set pieces. And I just want to kind of note this question, too, because I, I don't think we mentioned this earlier, but the Revs had nine corners uh, and and they seem to go to waste. Uh, and even with good service from Carly's heel, I know Brandon By had a headed corner um, that went into the near side of the netting. Um I don't think there were any other corners, though, that seemed very dangerous. I know John Bell got ahead on a couple of them uh, that went wide. Um, but o- overall, I mean, that is a, an area of the game where uh, not just Adam Buchsa but Henry Kessler really makes an impact. Uh, and just seems to be a little bit wasted with them not on the field. So I know we talked about Henry Kessler a little bit earlier. Uh, that's another area I think that if we're comparing Henry Kessler and John Bell to Kessler is going to be a major, major positive uh, in attacking and defending set pieces. Because uh, as as I say, other than I mean, there are a few people who are very, very good at headers and set pieces. Adam Buchsa Brendan By, and Henry Kessler. Uh, and, and when you miss those two, you know that's an area too. Defensively, the Revolution have struggled. So. Uh, I, I imagine we'll see Henry Kessler uh next week. We've already talked about this a little bit, but uh that's a point that we didn't bring up that I, I wanted to point out. Very good call by Randy L. H.
0: It's very unusual that the you know, the revolutions best target on set pieces in a game like today is their right back. I don't think you see that very often. And you know, credit to Brandon Buy, But if he, if he wasn't out there, I don't think they have much of an aerial threat on set pieces when Buxa and Kessler aren't, aren't out there. They're you know pretty limited. So um, you know, it, it is a it is a key point that Carly's heel is great at providing good service on set pieces, but the, it goes to waste a little bit when you are missing those
1: guys. Yeah. Uh, we also got another question that actually just came in uh, and well, actually, we'll, we'll come back to this one because it, it leads into some other news that we we're going to touch uh, at the end of the game. Uh, Mike Kennedy asks us, um, what are your thoughts on the late runs Polster and Hill were doing in the first half, a Columbus specific tactic or something to replicate against other opponents? Uh, Sean, what are your thoughts?
0: I think it's something to replicate, especially if the Revolution are playing this formation. When there when there's one striker, I think you kind of need that the guy's making late runs into the box and kind of picking up scraps or being there for for a cross um, that you might not expect. It's it's too predictable um, when there's you know a couple guys in the box you can mark out for crosses. But when you have guys like Poster that you maybe not expecting and maybe aren't going to you know be be covering and this was actually something we kind of saw not not that you can compare you know either of these guys really to, to Clint Dempsey but I remember at the beginning of Clint Dempsey's career he was playing more of kind of a number eight. Um, in the Revolution lineup when he first started, and would make those late runs in the box. And he scored a lot of goals that way because you weren't expecting him to be the guy making that run forward. There was you know Taylor Twellman you could mark out of the game, you know Canseco that you you know you knew things were going to come from um, Pat Noonan. But then you'd have you know Clint Dempsey making up the run and kind of cleaning up the scraps and getting open. And I think that's the strategy, especially when you're playing with one striker, um, you need to do. Uh, so it was good to see the Revolution doing that in the first half, and it's a you know great call by Mike to point that out.
1: Yep, and th- that's it for questions. Other than uh, some other topic. Uh, news and, and topics that we're going to get into. We have some salary data that we want to get into, and then we're going to talk about heels extension. Do you want to go into one of those topics first, and then I'll ask the question.
0: Let's let's jump into the salary quickly. Um, the revolution salary data came out kind of without without much notice uh, midweek, and I know both of us are people that are really interested to to look um, at that salary data. We talked a bit about some of it. My biggest takeaway from it was how highly paid. Mofla was for how little he's produced so far. Um, you know, w- what did you see in this salary data that kind of interested you?
1: Yeah, if you listen to this podcast, we've kind of touched on it a little bit before, and it's it's an inexact science, um, you know, since we we don't have how much space is available or salary data. We didn't have salary data from last year. You know, some some allocation money in years past has rolled over. I'm not sure if that's the case anymore. Um, you know, TAM is, is kind of a mystery in some cases. So the salary stuff is... Very questionable. But in terms of the data we got in terms of these players' salaries, not a whole lot surprised me. Um, Andrew Farrell, Teal Bunbury got some raises. They signed extensions uh, in 2020. So that wasn't a huge surprise. I think they were both around 200, 250. uh, Farrell's up to 400. Teal Bunbury is up to. 375. Uh, Matt Polster's at 300,000. That's a signing that was made last year. I, I'm not surprised by that number too much. Captoon was at 500,000, which, considering how much they hyped up that that signing, does not surprise me. I, I kind of thought that might be a TAM signing, um, although I, I don't think they put that in the press release, and that's normally not the case. But 500,000 sounds about right. Um, botang at 200,000. garza at 250. Um, Earl Edwards Jr. is at the uh, veterans or the senior roster minimum of 81000 Um So not not a whole lot here that really jumped out at me or was a huge surprise. Um, obviously, when you're looking at team salary, the big numbers are going to be in your designated players. And we already knew Buxa was around a million. Bow and Heel were above uh, two million. So none of those numbers were were really huge. Um, as you said, I think Mafla was the big surprise because – coming from a South American team and not a European team I, I kind of expected him to maybe not be on as high a number uh, that we've seen in the past like a bootner and a somi you kind of expect to play a premium with those guys or as a hebo coming from a European team um you, you kind of thought that maybe he was on a lower salary but um, yeah that four hundred thousand uh, dollars salary and 495 total compensation uh was a, a bit of a shock uh, and and certainly seems to be the least uh you know effective or efficient signing, I, I should say, uh, of the off season. Uh, but one, one thing that jumped out at me was uh, our Tristeson at 375 salary and 413 total compensation. Um, considering he was a guy that I kind of expected to be a potential TAM signing, I kind of held him in the same regards as Captoom. I was really surprised he was not around 500,000. So um, overall, no big surprises from this salary data here uh, and if you want my number of what my trustee uh spreadsheet comes out at uh, I, i'm estimating they still have about 1.7 to 1.8 million uh in salary slash gam under the cap so the Revolution should have some some space to to play around in this summer uh, they do only have two senior roster spots but you know they 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 have some allocation money to play with if they want to bring in a big piece uh, in the event of injury or just improving the squad.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And it's, it's worth noting, too, that when you're talking about expectations for Tristan, I agree he's, he's less than I thought he would be salary-wise, and he's you know basically the same as Till Bunbury. So um, that, that to me, is kind of interesting. And then looking at some of the other new signings, I think Boateng was making 275 last year. He's at 200. So the Revolution kind of got him for cheap because he you know, didn't have that great of a season. I think De La Garza was at you know 290 or something like that, and he dropped down to 250. Um, so if you're kind of looking at the Revolution's free agent MLS signings, they, they found a couple of guys that didn't have great years and signed them for cheap of course we haven't seen them play at all yet for the revolution so who knows whether even those salaries will be worth it but um that was another kind of thing that that was noteworthy to me um but i think that was you know like you said there weren't too many surprises here
1: the the other thing too and if you follow us on twitter you know this already but matt turner signed an extension in the off season he is at 375 in salary and total compensation that seemed to be very low to me i figured when he signed Uh, a new extension. He was going to move up to market. Um, and last year in 2020, he was at, uh, what? 200,000. He was at 200,000 even. So he signed an extension in in mid 2019 at 200,000. He signed an extension, uh, this past year at 375. still very below market. He's 17th in MLS goalkeepers in terms of salary. Yes, there is a, you know, he doesn't have a ton of leverage, Yes, he's he's, you know, under team control for a number of years and yes, it's a significant raise, but you look at guys like Evan Bush who, you know, given he's 35, so he's been around longer and he he's gotten a bigger salary. Evan Bush is making $100,000 more or I think $50,000 more than um, Matt Turner. Columbus has two goalkeepers who are making over $400,000. Um, you know, you, you just kind of look at the numbers and they uh, they the revolution have Matt Turner at well below market rates. Um, so he he really should be getting about five hundred thousand dollars. So I'm not sure if it's a hometown discount. Um, I'm not sure if it's just he's taking the raise uh, when he can, but the revs should have him under team control for I think they said his contract was for four years. Uh, so I don't know if this is an escalating contract and so maybe there's kind of like a poison pill type of theory that you know next year it goes up to 450 and the year after that it goes up to 550 and maybe that's Matt Turner's way of maybe. Um, you know, forcing a year, Europe move in a year or two. But if this is 375 throughout all four years, uh, the revolution have certainly gotten a really, really good deal for one of the best keepers in MLS.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Columbus being the, the prime example of uh, teams that maybe are misallocating resources to that role with uh, Eloy Room, I think making close to 500,000. I think he's worth it. He's a good goalkeeper. We saw it tonight. Um, but then Evan Bush, like you said, making more than Matt Turner to sit on the bench uh, is is pretty crazy for a backup goalkeeper
1: yeah uh we did uh, one more note I wanted to mention on the salary note is Diego Fagundes at four hundred thousand um I was a little surprised i, I kind of thought he'd be a little bit higher than that, but it's a multi year deal so he's doing uh you know that's his the the austin contract I know a lot was made of diego fagundes um and, and his contract I think he was what three hundred thousand in two years in new england
0: he he was only at two hundred and fifteen thousand last year
1: yeah, but his contract to stay i think was oh the uh, like, offer, was, yeah yeah it was, was some, it three hundred thousand or something I, I think like it was that?
0: something like that yeah.
1: So, um, yeah, Bruce wasn't too far off. I know it was $100,000, so it's still a lot. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not scoffing at that, but um, kind of interesting to see where that number shook out uh, with Austin. Um, and then we did have a question here. Uh, speaking of, you know, not efficiently spending your money, James Downing points out, uh, is poor FC Cincinnati ever going to catch a break with that monster payroll and beautiful stadium? Um, and in case you didn't know, uh, FC Cincinnati is fifth in total... Uh, money spent or or total salary spent, um, which is interesting because they are terrible. Uh, Sean, uh, I think that was one of the big takeaways from the uh, salary dump. Did you have any thoughts on FC Cincinnati uh, completely running their franchise incorrectly?
0: I mean it's just crazy to me how much they're spending on what on paper doesn't even look like a very good roster. So I <laughs> I it's I mean we we knew we we've talked about Cincinnati before and how kind of unimpressive they've been in assembling their team. Um but yeah, they have a, created a big hole for themselves to kind of dig out of with this roster construction and I'm I you know, I don't know how long it's going to take them to do that, but Um, if I was an FC Cincinnati fan, I would not be kind of thrilled with the situation my team found itself in.
1: Yeah, it's interesting. If you want to know, if you want to watch a team, uh, you know, hypothetically make every decision wrong, uh, you know, in their franchise's history, Cincinnati is the team to watch. Uh, They they really have not done anything. And they had such a big following coming out of USL. They were such a strong USL side. It's really sad to see them just botch every single aspect of uh, their rollout. And, you know, you got to give them credit for at least going for it. But Um, you know, I I don't think Jeff Cameron is going to be solving that back line. And they, they went out and spent a lot of money on a a goalkeeper and, you know, I don't know, a lot of, a lot of mistakes being made over there in uh, Southern Ohio. So when, when,
0: when they came into the league, I think there was questions that they weren't spending enough money and that they looked like they weren't going to spend enough money. And then they went out and and spent a decent chunk of money, but did it just all the wrong ways. Um, Mm -hmm. it it is funny though, to look at their roster now and, and realize that both Cody Cropper is, uh, you know, when people say Teal Bunbury is still in the league, Cody Cropper is still in the league on, on uh, FC Cincinnati's roster, and Edgar Castillo is back in the league on FC Cincinnati's roster. So a couple of uh, ex-revs uh, on that roster, although they're not the problem with the salary because I think the two of them combined to make about
1: 200000 Well, and, and my favorite thing about FC Cincinnati is that the first year, or one of their first or second year, they decided to trade. I mean, they were trading allocation money for ter- not terrible players, but I think they overpaid significantly for someone from... Toronto. Was it drew Moore, I forget, but they, there, it was, there was like an athletic story about how ridiculous this trade was. Cause they were sending like $500,000 for a replacement level center back. Um, and then they traded for all of Philadelphia's draft picks. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe one of them was, you know, decent. Uh, and then, you know, so they, they spend all this money and they accumulate draft picks, which don't really work out. And then the next year they turn around, they trade their number three draft pick to Miami and Miami drafted Dylan Nealis, uh, but and you know Cincinnati could have held on to that pick and drafted Henry Kessler or Daryl Uh, but instead they ended up with I think a hundred thousand dollars in allocation money, which um, even just for the value of the number three draft pick is terrible. So um, just it seems like people that don't know how to run a MLS franchise. Maybe, maybe people that have know how to run a soccer team, but really don't understand how MLS works. And um, it's just a complete dumpster fire. And yeah, top five in salary is not, not very good returns. We have one more salary question though. I just noticed this Chris Creighton asked us who is the best bang for their buck? uh across uh we'll we'll do each position and by that he means forward midfield and defense Uh, we'll leave this to the revs i assume he means just for the revs um sean do you have do you want to nominate some players for best bang of their buck uh best attacker best midfielder and best defender
0: i mean you know henry kessler at 115,000 is is hard to beat um given the quality of defender he is for the revolution i think that's your defender there of course john bell at 63,000, um based on two starts is is a pretty good bargain too but i don't think you can look past kessler Um, on the on the defensive side um, on the the midfield side I'm kind of I'm you know since this question came into us as we're talking I'm looking I'm looking through the uh, the roster Maciel um, who's proven to be a, a starter for the in multiple games is also on the the league minimum sixty three thousand. So I'm going to go with Kessler at that defense, Masial um, as your minimum salary midfielder. It's hard to look past him because I think you know you get into anyone else that's starting for the Revolution and regularly and they're making at least two hundred thousand in that midfield. Um, and then at, at striker, I'm not sure there is a, a bargain at striker unless we look at, at Kizza who's made a few token appearances. But it's it's hard for me to say right now that Gustavo Bow at two point one million is a bargain or Books at one point one million is a bargain or. Even even Teal Bunbury at you know four hundred thousand, three seventy five thousand is, is a bargain. Um, so I think midfield and defense are easy. Striker is a bit a bit more complicated to come up with a bargain there.
1: Yeah, and you're you're cheating just by going off the supplemental roster because that's where all the bargains are. But if you are you know just looking at the senior roster, I know the athletic listed Brandon by at one seventy eight or, or really one seventy in salary and one seventy eight in compensation um, as a good value. Um, which I thought was interesting because he, he got a raise uh over the past couple of years, but still listed as good value. Dewan Jones at ninety-five thousand uh, and a hundred thousand total compensation is good value too. Um and Matt Polster. I know he's at three hundred thousand, three twenty-eight, and that's not a number that's particularly small, but um I, I think he's earning every single penny uh in that. So yeah, I, I think uh random by Dewan Jones certainly should get a shout at at def- defense as uh good value and Matt Polster Um, probably your, your thriftiest signing since he's an inner, well, not an international signing, but uh, a signing from of a player who came from overseas uh, and is still returning good value. Usually you have to pay a premium, uh, but it seems like that was a very, very good deal uh, for the revolution. Uh, And and Tristesen too, as I said, 375, 413, I expect more to to be above those values, but we haven't seen it yet from him. So um, I'd nominate those guys as good values. As you say, I don't think there is a good value in the um, attacking group, uh, but, you know, you got to pay for a premium for attackers. So
0: well, and, and obviously we didn't talk about goalkeeper, but we but you talked about Turner earlier. I think he's still a bargain. And I also think Brad Knighton, given his experience as a backup keeper at 140,000 is, is kind of a bargain there, especially after after we just talked about Evan Bush.
1: Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. I mean, they are paying, boy, so at 375 plus 4 or 110. Uh, so they are paying, I mean, 600,000 for three keepers. Uh, I mean that that's cheaper than you know Brad Guzon, so yeah,
0: so it, I, I mean probably two two bargains at the goalkeeper position and who knows what we got from Earl Edwards um but did want to move on to the the other bit of kind of salary roster news and that's what Taylor Twelman said during the broadcast today about Carla heel being close to signing a, a three year extension. Um, that would make him the highest-paid player in Revolution history, which I think right now would probably be Jermaine Jones, who was making what three point two five million, I believe, um, mm. for the Revolution. So, uh, so presumably, Carlos Hill is going to make something more than that um which would be you know a, a million dollar plus increase from his current salary and I think he's worth every penny of it but that that's uh got to be great news for revolution fans to hear right
1: yeah no I mean we we talked about this at the beginning of the off season last year that I think a high priority is to lock down uh, Carlos Hill who finishes I think he's finishing his third season with us this year so I think he might have one more year in 2022 but overall he's a designated player there's no restrictions on designated players um there's really no excuse not to give him a raise uh, and control him for a, a few more years. I think he's 28 years old. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I think the contract is for three and a half years. So it take you through the end of uh, 2024. So he, that that's his 32, 33 season. Um, I, I think that's perfect. And I, I don't know what the amount of money they're giving Carla Seal is, but it doesn't matter because he's a designated player and I'm not cutting the check. So, uh, really, really good move by the Crafts uh, and, and the Revolution to lock down Carla Seal because without Carla Seal, I, I don't think this team is half of what it is today.
0: No, I mean Carley's heel is what makes this team a potential contender if he's if he's gone and we saw it last year when he was out he's he's the most important player on the revolution um, so you know if the crafts have managed to sign him for a new three and a half year deal um, again that, that shows that they you know they care about this team being successful and that was a huge move for the revolution uh, no one's more important to the revs um, than Carley's heel
1: we do have two questions here on the Carley's heel contract. Um, rally, sorry we, you can tell we're we're going off the cusp here and we're we're doing they're improvising here, but uh rally revs fan says with heels reported contract talks he 'd be somewhere around top five players in the league at three years ten million um, i'm not sure if they said those figures over the broadcast and I missed them um or if he knows something i don't Maybe Revolution
0: nation tweeted that out um, at their source says that i i i don't know how reliable that is but that's that's I saw that tweet
1: okay well we'll take that so that's three point three million. Um, which still is a bit of a deal in my mind. Um, and I assume that's salary, not total compensation. So maybe there's a signing b- bonus, but regardless, um, the question here is what do you think this says about Kraft's commitment to the team going forward uh, and if that differs from the past?
0: Yeah, it says a lot about it, his commitment to the team that they made that happen. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sure Carles heel had opportunities to go elsewhere if the Revolution wanted to, to cash in and maybe sell him. Um, but I, I think Bob Kraft... We've seen it recently with the with the training center, um, with how they've spent on on Gil and on, on Heel and Bo and and Buxa and having three DPS. Finally, it, it took it took them long enough to, to go and, and join the rest of the league in doing that. But uh, if they have gone out there and spent that money to re-sign Carly's Heel, it shows their you know it does show. Uh, the intent of Bob Kraft and the next step is is the one step we always talk about that never happens is is finding a stadium in Boston, but you know other than that, the crafts are doing the right things
1: yeah and and I do want to add too that you look at the total money spent, and the revs are still slightly below the average m l s team uh, We talk about how efficient the revs are with their spending, and they've gotten a lot of money off of the books. Uh, the, the past couple of years, especially with the Manciens and the Dielnas, um, and, and kind of some big bloated contracts that weren't working out, uh, and so there's there's been a bit of a I won't say dip in salary, but um, they they've kind of dropped below average. Um, and I, I, some people made the point that that shows the crafts aren't really committed to winning and and whatnot. And I think it just means that the Revs are getting smarter with spending their money. And I think the Revolution are uh, just you know. Doing better at developing players, obviously, with Revs 2 and the Revs Academy uh, and their new facilities, too. You you watch, you know, Maciel paying off, John Bell uh, moving up to the front first team. I mean, those are very, very, um, you know, low-salary players. But there's a much bigger investment behind them. They're scouting youth players. Um, they're expanding their scouting network. They're paying for a full team of USL2 players. Um, and that's something that other teams around the league aren't doing. That's something that Columbus isn't doing. It's something Minnesota isn't doing. Um, and, and the Revolution are benefiting from that um, to get two players who are contributing. You know, Masiel is a, a starter for the Revolution in year two uh, of the Revs two team existing. Um, that's astonishing. So uh, the Crafts seem to be spending their money smarter. Uh, and I think Carly Hill, opening up the checkbook for Carly Hill, I think a lot of people are going to say, Oh, well, he's finally paying a big star. I, I think this is him spending big money smartly. Uh, I know that's not a word, but, um, wisely, I should say, uh, not a good, not a good day for me and the English language, just really not my best. You can tell what, what, uh, language, what, what class I struggled with, uh, in school. But yeah, no, I, 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 I don't know if it says a ton about crafts commitment because we've seen it over the past two years. Um, but it seems like they are finding ways to spend their money in very productive ways. And that, that's what leads to a first place team.
0: I completely agree. Was there, was there one more question we had?
1: Got one more question too. David Spillion asks us: With the rumored heel re-signing, is Bo and Buxa, uh, sorry, Bo and Books a good enough to take advantage of Carly's heel in his prime? In my opinion, the Revs need to spend more more for reliable goal scorers. Are we stuck with those two for heels remaining time with us?
0: Uh, I mean, I don't think they need to spend more necessarily. I think what they're spending on Gustavo Bo. Um, you know, he's one of the higher paid players in the league at at 2.12 million. I think you can get a good striker for that money. Um, and we, again, beating a dead horse here, we, you know, finishing hasn't been good enough this season and wasn't good enough at stretches last season. Um, but i do think those are two players that are capable of being a lot better and i think they have to be a lot better as far as finishing um, but i don't necessarily think it's a money thing i think for what the revolution are playing paying Gustavo Bowe, um, you know you should be able to have a, a good quality striker that can can put away the chances that that Carlos heel creates
1: yeah and and well kind of stepping back to the question though are we if these two i i, I think they they can take advantage of heel in this prime uh, and this can be a team that hits on all cylinders uh, but in terms of are we stuck with them for the Teal's remaining time through 2024? I'd be kind of surprised if they are both here in 2024. Would you agree with that?
0: Oh, yeah. I don't think they'll both be here in 2024. I mean, if Gustavo Bo might not be here next year. I don't know. I, I, that wouldn't surprise me at all if he wasn't here next year.
1: Yeah, I mean, if we go through a full year of this kind of mishmash and, you know, there's a lot of talk about PUXA, you know, not, you know not fitting in and and not scoring and not converting goals and you know Gustavo Bo is really the bigger concern for me right now because you know when Bo came here he was running around the 18 yard box firing off shots uh, you know if you got eight shots off and four of them were on target you could expect one in the back of the net i mean look at how many shots bo has gotten in the past few games i should have pulled this up but you know i feel like he's had maybe one or two games where he's gotten five shots off. I mean, if that, I mean, we're, we're getting one or two shots from Gustavo Bo, and it's really not the most productive way to use him. So mm-hmm. I'm really concerned about Gustavo Bo. and you talk about him maybe not being here next year. I, I'm curious if that is the case. He seems happy here and he seems well liked among his team, uh, but you know, second highest paid player on the team, his job is to score goals. He has one, um, and and it's not really sure where his role is going to be. So if this goes on throughout the year, and if Gustavo Bo ends the season with four or five goals, you have to wonder if the Revs find a way to move on from him and use a designated player spot. You know, maybe as a left winger, maybe as a uh, midfielder, um, a central midfielder, uh, or or maybe just another striker to kind of pair up and, and be a better fit for that four four two system. Um, but yeah, is is Adam Buxa and Gustavo Bo gonna be here in 2024. I'd I'd bet a lot of money that the answer is no. Um I wonder if one of them will be here in 2024, um, because they they bought Adam Buxa with the intention of uh potentially selling him for profit down the line. Um and I believe both of their contracts end, end before twenty twenty-four as well. So I'm sure. Um, yeah, so I, I think the, the, the answer to the question is here is that yeah, they're they're both good enough to take advantage of Carlos Heel, a twenty-eight and twenty-nine-year-old Carlos Heel. Uh but I would imagine Carlos Gil is going to be playing with some different forwards. Uh, in the second half of this contract.
0: Well, and, and you you uh, understated the, the struggles for shots this year because he hasn't had more than two shots in the game all season. And you're right that last year, I mean previous years, it you know eight or nine shots in the game weren't unusual.
1: Yeah, I, I don't want to. Maybe this is a different rant for another day because I know we're running long. I think we're probably at like an hour and a half at this point, or at least it seems like that. But I mean Gustavo, Bo, the way they're playing, him closer to goal and all that. I mean to me, you'd want him kind of roaming around with Carles heel and you want to have him, you know, just fire off shots from the ozone layer because you know you're you're gonna cause havoc for defenses who have to kind of shut him down. Um playing him close to goal, it's easier to shut him down and and I don't know, it, it I I wonder if we see a bit of a change later on in the season where maybe he's kind of more that free roaming player that we saw at the 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 uh 2019 and 2020 seasons.
0: I mean, I, I still don't know what his role is, because even in the two striker formations, I feel like you've seen him, um, like you're saying, too close to goal, where you, know, you look at the passing charts, and he's further ahead of Buxa. Um, so yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what his best role is on this team anymore. But it's a, it's a topic we've talked about a lot.
1: And it's not that he's bad, but it's not what he does best. And it's right. not an efficient use of him. And he's not a two million. I mean, the, the way people talk about Buxa is, well, he's not a designated player. Well, neither is Bo right now. And so maybe this is something they figure out and maybe all three of them click and, you know, it's great. But, I mean, they're, they're all three very, very talented players. It's just a matter of finding finding them ways to all collectively, uh, you know, f- score goals uh, and be in the best roles possible. And I think Bruce is, is still in the process of figuring out. Maybe we, we figure it out. But if they don't, uh, getting back to this question, yeah, I mean, do we see Gustavo Bo here in 2022? I would right, say there's a good, good case to, to get rid of him. Yeah, Maybe not get rid of him, but sell him to a, a team.
0: Yeah, and and I think that was that was everything I had on my list. Unless you got anything else.
1: No, it's been a long episode. I just want to talk about. I just want to note before we leave how funny that tweet was uh, from the Philadelphia game about from the brotherly game. Who said that uh, they were shocked Teal Bunbury was still playing. I mean that was just amazing. Uh, talk about someone who's not old. Uh, and you know, it, it, if it was a Scott Caldwell type. Maybe I would I would understand it, but it's weird to throw out that tweet when you know you got Alejandro Bedoya running around, you know, and you're you're calling other teams husbands. It was a a plus tweet, and then for Teal Bunbury to score uh, a moment later was, uh, you know, chef kiss, chef kiss. <laughs> so uh, just want to shout out to the the Broadway game for uh, the worst tweet of the MLS season so far. Well, uh,
0: on that note, I got I got no final thoughts. So could you give out our uh, Twitter handles and Facebook and all of our fun new social media?
1: Yeah, you can follow us at Revolution Recap on Twitter. And you can also like our Revolution Recap Facebook and Instagram pages.
0: And that's all we have for this week. I think the Revolution are home against uh, Red Bulls next week. So we'll be back to you after that show, after that game. Um, Thanks again for listening. And we'll be back next week.
1: And rate and review on iTunes. Five stars. Thanks.